Greetings and a blessed Lord's Day to you all. This is our Social Distancing Online Church number nine. And I'm your host today. My name is Andrew Bates and I'm on the Elders Board here at Airedale Alliance. We hope this video is a source of inspiration, encouragement, hope, and strength for you. Today is Mother's Day. It is a day set aside once a year to officially honor and bless our mothers. We should be grateful for our mothers, our mothers-in-law, and wives today. So take some time and honor your mothers, and perhaps this can be a blessed time of reflection for you. Before we have a time of prayer, there are a few announcements. On May 31st, we will have a communion service online. Pastor Jordan will give us more details surrounding that event. Also, check your e-bulletin that was emailed to you this week. I'm going to read Psalm 121. Please bow with me. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Heavenly Father, we confess that uh, we are not holy, but we know that you are holy and that you give us grace and strength to be holy. You said in your word, be holy as I am holy. And we know that we are sinners in need of your forgiveness and uh, strength. We thank you for your cleansing. We thank you for your forgiveness. We ask that your peace, hope, and love would abide with us as we address the needs here at Arendelle. We pray for our international workers. We lift up Jason and Anita at Big River Bible Camp. We pray that you'd give them wisdom, guidance, and provision as they decide what the summer camps look like. We pray that they would be able to improvise wisely as they look for alternatives to reach campers with the gospel. We pray that their financial needs would be satisfied. We also pray for the John family in India. We pray that their supplies during the lockdown would be replenished. Give them safety and grace during this time of social distancing. We pray for Susan and the children as they are stuck in Canada while Ben is in India. Give them grace and protection during this time. We pray for Asher as she does her online high school exams. Give her strength and perseverance to finish strong. We pray for Mother's Day today and all the mothers. We pray that uh, this would be a blessed day for them. May they know they are loved and appreciated deeply. Thank you for mothers who are obedient to you and follow you and set a good example for younger mothers. Bless them this day. We pray for the family of Dr. Harvey. And on his passing on May 1st, we pray that you would comfort them this time of grieving. We think of our District Alliance churches in Swift Current, Trailview, The Paz, Tisdale. Strengthen their congregation by your word. We also uh, think of the nominating committee and their work. We pray for wisdom and guidance for them. Thank you for Pastor Jorn as he preaches. We pray that you bless all his areas of his ministry as he settles here, here at Arendelle. And we commit this rest of service to you. 
We ask these things in our King and Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Just want to wish all the mothers and people who are like mothers out there, happy Mother's Day.
Hello, uh, and welcome to today's Bible scripture reading. Today I will be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21 from the Christian Standard Bible. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astonished and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of gods in our own tongues. They were all astonished and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and pay attention to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women. They will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Good morning, Arendelle Alliance Church family and those of you who are joining us online. My name is Pastor Jordan Green. I'm the lead pastor here at Arendelle. And before we begin this morning's service, I want to talk to two particular ladies that will be watching possibly online and actually a third. Those two ladies are my mother and my mother-in-law. So thankful for both of you ladies and the godly heritage that Dorothy and I come from, courtesy of your love, your encouragement, and your concern, your prayers for us. Mom, I, I look back at my growing up years. I was just thinking of this the other night as uh, Michael and I were spending some time together. So thankful for the heritage I have with you and Dad. And uh, Dad, I know you're watching. I'm not trying to exclude you. I'll talk to you on Father's Day. Love you folks so much. So deeply thankful for the way that you love and embrace Dorothy. And for Mom Myers, I, I don't tell mother-in-law jokes because you have been such a gift and, and such an encouragement to my ministry. Dad, when he was alive, really helped to mold and shape how I view ministry. So thankful for you. So thankful for uh, your work in Dorothy's life. And the other mother I want to talk to actually is my wife, Dorothy. Dorothy, I love you, sweetie. Thank you for what you do with the children. Thank you for walking with me and encouraging me and, and doing this crazy life that we do together. I'm so proud of you. So to the moms in the congregation, we love you. We're thinking of you today in Mother's Day. 
And so as we think of mothers and think of the gift of mothers, I want to consider another gift today. And I'm sorry, it's not a true Mother's Day message today. Uh, if you've got your Bibles close at hand, be it on digital device or like me, uh, a physical paper Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2 and consider what do we need for life? It's Mother's Day and mothers give us life. They encourage us, they nurture us. But interestingly in Acts 2, we find that there's another piece that we need. Jesus, toward the end of his life on earth, he had what we call the upper room discourse with his disciples where he met with them. It's just shortly before his betrayal and ultimate crucifixion, death, and resurrection. And at one point he says to his disciples, it's good for you that I go away because I will send to you the comforter. He will guide you into all truth. And Jesus reminds them of some Old Testament promises that the father had made. And we get hint of them back in the life of Abraham, especially in the life of Moses, King David, Elijah, Elisha, that something more is needed, that God never intended for us to succeed in life on our own abilities, our own intelligence, but that we need something more. And Jesus says, it's good that I go away. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And we're going to study, we're going to look at Acts 2 this morning and this whole idea of this gift of the Spirit that God had promised long ago, and we now are going to see it fulfilled. And the, and the implications it has for us today as 21st century believers in Saskatoon, in Canada, in the world that we currently live in, because the grace and mercy of Jesus in Acts 2 is the grace and mercy of Jesus we live with today. So with this in mind, Acts chapter 2, would you bow with me in prayer as we look into the word of God? Gracious and holy God, we thank you we thank you that you never intended for us to figure out life by ourselves. Lord, we confess that we are weak. We confess that we are needy. We confess that there are things that we don't know and don't understand. And we look to you this morning. Guide us into all truth. Holy Spirit, as we study your coming, would you make it real to us this morning, wherever we are? Holy Spirit, would you fill your children and for those who might be watching who are not yet your children, would you stir their hearts to recognize that something is missing and that something is needed? Guide us in our study of the word. Would you be glorified and would we be transformed, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Last week, we were in Acts chapter 1, where the disciples recognized we need to replace Judas Iscariot. There's only 11 of us. God intended for 12. And they cast lots because they didn't know who to pick. They, they used good common sense, they used good decision-making tools, and came down to, we can go with these two possible men, do we go with Matthias, or do we go with Justice? And at the end of the lot casting process, the lot falls to Matthias, he joins the 12. And interestingly there, that uncertainty in the decision stands in stark contrast to what we now see in Acts 2. Jesus told the disciples at the start of Acts, remain in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere until the coming Holy Spirit who's been promised arrives, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Well, we're now in Acts 2, and it's Pentecost. And we read these words. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so where we are now, it's 50 days past the resurrection of Jesus. 
Passover has happened, Pentecost, Penta, 50, so it's 50 days later. It's actually, ironically, the Feast of First Fruits. And I love that twist because on the Feast of First Fruits, we have the church start and the first true, full, spirit filled converts come into the church and begin this process of the kingdom of God expanding to encompass the whole world. And I think God's timing with Passover and Pentecost, going back to the law of Moses, was no accident. Knowing that the plan would be that Jesus would die at Passover, where the angel came back in Israel, uh, sorry, in Egypt, and freed the Israelites, and then the first fruits, the 50 days later, we now see this first harvest of souls. So the disciples have been promised the Spirit would come. They're gathered. They're doing the normal things that they were doing. We saw this in Acts 1. They're gathered. They're spending time in prayer. They're spending time in fellowship. They're waiting on what God would have for them. And this is when God comes and meets them. And we're not sure exactly where they were in the city of Jerusalem when it says they're in a house. That could be a euphemism for the, for the temple. Possibly some have wondered if they were at John Mark's house. We don't know. But they're gathered. Was it just the 12 or was it the 120 Again, there's details Luke doesn't tell us. But what we do know is when the Spirit comes and fills them, there's that visible sign. There's no doubt something has happened. Just as when the temple was dedicated under Solomon, the glory of God fell on the temple. So when the presence of God falls on the disciples, the Spirit is visible in the form of tongues, comes and rests on them. And there's that clear indication because they're now speaking other languages. I have to say I'm a little jealous. I did... uh, Biblical languages in Bible school. I'm not a languages guy. I don't have a natural aptitude for it. And I sit in ESL and I marvel at our ESL students who are learning English. And I know English is a challenging language. And I've talked to some of them and I'm fascinated to try and learn the the different dialects of Chinese, for example. And I've got friends from the Philippines and I've got friends from Russia. And and some of them speak multiple languages. We had an adopted daughter who lived with us for a while, a student that we took in and, and loved as our own. And, and I think she spoke four languages. And uh, she was traveling with her now husband. Uh, I believe they had just gotten married, actually. And I might have even been on their honeymoon. They were crossing a couple of country lines and they were speaking in English and then they had trouble with the ticket agent and, and he talked about how it was so strange to watch his wife suddenly lapse into Spanish and then something else happened and then she lapsed into Portuguese. I, I don't have this ability. I'm a little jealous of the disciples. The Spirit comes and empowers their language. And Luke goes on and describes and there's 17 different languages And and they're from all over the Roman Empire. And the picture we've got here is when the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples spill out. They're in the street and they're sharing the truth of Jesus in language that the crowd can understand. This is why we wonder if there were maybe 120 because there's 17 different language groups identified. Not 12, 17 that Luke names. It's possible there were even more that heard it. The entire Roman Empire now hears the truth of the gospel in their heart language. For those who've studied English as a second language, they can appreciate there's something about hearing your native tongue spoken. I've talked to some of my students who've done missions and they've gone overseas and and it doesn't take very long for those of you who've been overseas know if you were in a marketplace and suddenly you hear an English speaker against the backdrop of all the foreign languages, you can hear that voice so clearly. The crowd hears the truth of Jesus Christ in their own language. A beautiful, beautiful example. The grace and mercy of God. His miracle here in providing that the gospel would go out clearly, succinctly, 
without any confusion, and they hear it in the language they know best, the language of their heart, the language of voice and head, as it were. The crowd recognizes something strange is going on, and they recognize, look, these are Galileans. How can they do this? And one of the, the weird moments for me in Scripture that just always has me shaking my head is when some of the crowd scoff and say, well, they're full of wine. I, I, I'm not aware that alcohol and intoxication makes us smarter and imparts new abilities to us. And actually, I love how Peter redirects that comment when the scoffers say, well, they're just drunk, which makes no sense whatsoever. How would drunk men now speak languages they've never ever learned? Paul actually kind of pushes back and says, they're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. This is not what happens. Uh, but sorry, Peter challenges them with this. Peter then goes on and points out what's happening here with the crowd. What's happening here is the disciples are proclaiming the truth to the people that are now gathered in Jerusalem for Passover is full of people and many would stay and still be there for Pentecost. These crowds from all over the Roman Empire hearing the gospel the first time in their own language, Peter recognizes and identifies for them. God promised that this was going to happen a long time ago. Takes them to Joel chapter 2. And in fact, uh, Luke records for us some of Joel's words that Peter now addresses the crowd with so they can understand why is this happening. Joel records in Joel 2 what Peter now quotes for us. And in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter, and I, I like picking on Peter because Peter to me is the attention deficit disciple. Only once in the Gospels is it recorded where he really gets an answer right when Jesus says, well, what about this or what about this? And most of the time, Peter's the impulsive one. Peter's the one who's busy running ahead. He's answering questions he doesn't understand. And, and Peter is, is almost a little bit of comic relief at times in the Gospels. I love the moment when the storm comes up and Jesus walked across the water and, and Peter sees him and says, can I come out to you? And Jesus invites him out and he gets out. But when he sees the wind and the waves and actually realizes what he's doing, that's when he starts to sink and Jesus has to pull him out of the water. But there is that one time, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of God. It's only a few verses later than Jesus rebukes him. But here we see a transformed Peter. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us? He takes who we are. He takes what we are. And he makes it beautiful for the glory of God. Peter, Peter's one of my life heroes. He's fiery, he's passionate, he's zealous. He's the one when a Roman mob came to arrest Jesus, he drew a sword. He's incompetent because in a large crowd with a sword, he only successfully cuts off a bystander's ear rather than maybe being a little more effective with the tool. And I love the fact that Jesus stops in that moment, heals this, this innocent bystander, puts the ear back, and then they proceed with the arrest. And then later, Peter will be afraid of the servant girl and deny Christ three times. But now here we see what happens when the Spirit comes in and fills. They don't make Peter someone he wasn't before. But he distills, he purifies, he makes holy that which God created as good. 
And I love that Peter can stand up now and he quotes Joel 2 and says to the crowd, what's happening here is for a reason. This is for the glory of God. God promised he was going to do this. Joel prophesied this in Joel 2 and the Jews have been waiting for the fulfillment of this. They had hinted this back in the ministry of Moses when the Spirit came on those who were assigned to assist Moses scattered throughout the camp even. There were a couple who were not present there and the Spirit of God came and fell on them. That was unusual. The Spirit of God on Saul, unusual. The Spirit of God on David, unusual. Joel anticipates when the indwelling Holy Spirit would be normal for God's people. Peter now stands up and says, this is what's happening at the festival of first fruits because this is the first fruits of the harvest of Jesus' death and resurrection. So incredible. Why tongues? Why tongues as the Spirit comes and as Peter's preaching? Keep in mind, the crowd has now come to a standstill. They've heard the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for their forgiveness in their heart language. A lot of debate around, do we have to speak in tongues? I want to stay wide of some of that. that that's a, probably a better Bible study topic and we could talk about it. But interestingly here, Tongues, and then Peter's subsequent message reminds us, when God gifts us, it's for the maximum impact for his glory and for the advance of his kingdom. Paul will talk about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, and he'll always come back to what brings glory to God, what edifies the body most effectively, what will advance the work of God the best. Acts 2, the gift of tongues, as people hear the truth and are now introduced to this idea. The Spirit has come to live in us. Powerful, effective for the glory of God. Paul reminds us in Acts, or sorry, in Corinthians, God gifts according to his will and purpose for his glory. And we see that here. As Peter stands up and he's saying, the Spirit has come to transform our hearts and our lives. The Spirit has come as God promised. We're going to prophesy, we're going to do miracles, and it's going to foreshadow the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is this kind of funny idea here in Joel, because there's the day of the Lord that we're seeing here in Acts 2, where the Spirit comes and the kingdom is going out and advancing. There's also the sense where the day of the Lord is going to happen, or it's going to be completed at the white throne judgment of God, where all things will be, will be made known, where all things will be judged where God will finally be glorified and then the new heavens and new earth will come from. And this is why we'll talk at different times about in the are and the not yet. We live in the fullness of what God intends for us because he's promised he's going to do it, but he hasn't done all of it yet. We're in the day of the Lord, but the day of the Lord is still to come, but we're in the day of the Lord. And the coming and the filling of the Spirit is part of this. Peter goes on and reminds us that God had promised this all along. Verse 23, therefore, Sorry, uh, though he was delivered up according to God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge. Everything that's happening is because God planned it. And in fact, in verse 23, he's now talking specifically about Jesus, that the cross was not an accident. The death of Jesus was planned from before the foundations of the world. When God promised the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. So the promise of the Holy Spirit was something that God had, had given... But there's more going on here that Peter identifies. As, he, as he's now calling, following through with this sermon, verse 22, he reminds us that Jesus had power and authority. But then in verse 23, he also reminds us that what happens with Jesus had been preordained. 
And let's start with verse 23, and then we're going to backtrack to verse 22, because just as the Holy Spirit was prophesied back in Joel 2, foreshadowing what happens, uh, or, or is an echo of what happens in the life of Moses and, and all throughout the Old Testament with the Spirit filling select individuals, and now the fulfillment as the Spirit fills all of God's children, Peter reminds us that the cross happens on purpose. Verse 23, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, used lawless men to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for death to hold him. And he goes on and talks and will quote from a couple of Psalms and reflect on how death was only temporary. He who knew no sin, who became sin, dies for us because sin demands death but he's raised again. There was that plan. Just as the Holy Spirit was promised, the death and resurrection of Jesus was planned before the foundations of the world. God has always had a plan. God has always been enacting his plan and nothing catches him off guard or surprises him. And I love this truth, this reminder. We don't need to be afraid in days of uncertainty like we're living in now. And let's be honest with ourselves for a moment. When has it ever not been a time of uncertainty? Every generation has faced this. Every person faces this. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. Constant questions in life. I have never met anyone who said, I I understand life and I get the meaning of life and I understand where I'm going and why I'm going. We all have questions. Every generation has had questions. We're just very aware of it right now because our questions have changed. In a matter of months, the way that we live life has changed. Verse 23, verse 24 reminds us, God has always had the plan. And so for us in a time of uncertainty, we need to come back. The certainty, the promise, we don't need to be afraid because God is always in control. And the promise of the Spirit now, tying back to Acts chapter 1, where they cast lots because they didn't know how to act. The Spirit of God, Jesus said himself in John, he will guide you in all truth. The challenge for us now, pause and ask and wait on God. What shall we do? Because the plan has been set, the promises have been made, and we walk in the truth that when God promises, God always fulfills. Consider for a moment before we go back to verse 22, how would the disciples have felt with the cross, seeing the God that they worship die on it, seeing that the master that they were serving, and they had just traveled for three years, and they'd watched miracles, and Peter had walked on water, and they ate the man, and they'd seen the miracles that they'd seen. Can you imagine how it must have felt to feel like the promises were gone? And for three days they lived in that reality. And then the empty tomb. And find out God is never thwarted. God is never defeated. I love in in Peter's epistle, he talks about how Jesus descends into Hades. And he goes and he preaches. And I kind of wonder how it was for the enemy to feel he had won. And then discover in winning he was defeated. Well, going back to verse 22, we also are reminded the miracles, both Jesus' miracles and now the miracle we see of Pentecost, where languages are being spoken that were never learned, all point us to the authenticity of the message. One of the things I like to challenge my students with, miracles are never the be-all and end-all. We talk about healings, we talk about prophecy, we talk about uh, the dead being raised or the lepers being cleansed or all the things that Jesus did. Throughout the Gospels, there's a bit of a tension, a tug of war, and times Jesus will say, don't tell anyone what I did. And and usually my students are a little confused. Why would Jesus not 
want people to know. And how do you hide that the blind can now see? There's always the danger for the miracle to become significant, the miracle to become more important. But Peter helps us to see the miracle serve as a mark of authenticity. Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus will do what he said he did. The promises Jesus has made, he will fulfill. When he was teaching Sermon on the Mount, talking about the kingdom of heaven, when he was sending his disciples out to do ministry, when he's teaching the parables, when he was confronting the Pharisees, everything that he said, the proof of the authority he had to say those things, and, and many times the gospel stop and say the crowds were amazed at his authority. The proof he had the authority is the miracles. The miracles were the mark of the authority, not the other way around. And when God moves in our lives, it's wonderful, but we must never lose sight. The miracles God does in our life are to point us to him. Uh, one of my favorite hymns, Jesus Only. It's all about him. We need to keep in mind and keep in proper perspective. The miracles, the, the, the ministry, everything that happens is to point us back to our relationship with the creator of the universe, who, verse 23, has the plan and is fulfilling the plan. Peter tells us this. Peter goes on, he talks Psalm 16, he talks about Psalm 110, and reminds us that not only were the miracles a significant piece, but even the whole idea that God himself would come and would die and would then be raised was something that God had let King David into. David was a prophet and a king. And he quotes a couple of David's psalms. And he points out that the psalms that, that David wrote couldn't possibly be about David himself because his tomb's there. It's in Jerusalem. They know where it is. But that David was anticipating his offspring, the son of David, who would come, who death would have no grip on. He would die. But he would not stay dead. He is alive. Verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God had made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And they're coming. They, they knew the Messiah was coming. They didn't know exactly who he was going to be. They didn't know the fullness of what was intended, but they knew God had promised a deliverer who would come and set them free. And in Jesus' ministry, oftentimes that question, are you the Messiah, would come up. They're thinking political freedom. They're thinking, we're going to cast off the Romans. We're going to be set free as a nation again. That was too small a thing. The promised deliverance that is found in Jesus Christ is not political. It's not social. It's not economic. It might be those things at times. But the promised freedom is freedom from sin and from death. Verse 36 again, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And the proof he was more than what they were thinking. The tomb is empty, the cross is empty, and the Spirit has now been poured out on all people who call on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Totally new season for the church. Should they have seen it coming? We can debate that point. As they reflect back, but how often is that true of our lives? We look back and go, I should have understood, I should have known. Maybe, but how would they have understood Joel chapter 2? How would they have understood David's Psalms? Hindsight and the illumination of Scripture by the Holy Spirit to show God had planned all of these things all along. What do we do with Acts 2 as New Testament believers? Because we live in the same blessing 
as what is now happening in Jerusalem because that spirit that was given on the day of Pentecost so many years ago, 2,000 years ago, is the same spirit indwelling us. It's the same spirit we call on as disciples of Jesus every day in prayer. Come, sanctify, transform, make us holy, empower us for holy living. What do we do with this? I want to suggest a couple of things. I want to suggest first, have we surrendered to the ministry of the spirit? If we're not following Christ, and, and Acts starting in verse 37 of chapter 2, we'll go on because the crowd's going to say, what do, what do we now do? And Peter was going to say, repent and be baptized, each of you. If we have not repented, if we've not entered into the body of Christ, if we've not joined on, if we've not recognized Jesus is the Son of God who was sent to die for my sin, if we've not surrendered to his lordship, we have no right to be filled with the Spirit. So for those who have not repented, and for those of us who are disciples of Jesus who have repented but haven't been baptized, I, I, what do we do with Peter's words in verse 38? Repent and be baptized, each of you. Baptism is that public declaration of the repentance that we've done. We need to repent and we need to be baptized. If we've not repented and been baptized, we do not have any right to this filling. We don't have any right to the spirit of the living God molding and changing us. Like we see Peter, the attention deficit disciple, who's struggling with life and is afraid of a servant girl and will pull a sword in front of a mom who now after the coming of the spirit will make him the man God always intended so he can stand up and preach this very first sermon. No sermon prep, nothing. He stands up and what is the outcome of this? Thousands will be saved after his first sermon. Thousands will accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are looking in from the outside on the words we talked about. We'd love to talk to you. I know COVID is on, so face-to-face contact is difficult. But there are ways. Email the office. We would love to talk to you about it. For those of us who've called on the name of Jesus, some questions we need to ask. Are we daily surrendering to the work of the Spirit that we see coming at Pentecost? Are we daily surrendering, allowing the Spirit into our lives? Are we holding back? Are we holding back a piece of our life? Are there sins that we don't want to let go of? Part of repenting means we're going to turn our back on our sin. I'm sorry to say, but there are times I find there's sins I like. And the Spirit of God challenged me, go, do you love me or do you love your sin? And there's that war, and Paul talked, oh, wretched man that I am, I don't do what I want to do, I do what I do not want to do. Are we surrendering to the work of the Spirit, inviting him in every day to do in our hearts and in our lives what he wants us to do? Are we spending time, third idea here, are we spending time in the word of God? I'm intrigued by the fact that here's Peter who's professionally a fisherman, but he knows the word. He can go back to scripture and go, this is what's happening, this is what's happening, and this is what's happening. The spirit was sent to illuminate scripture. The spirit was not sent so we don't need scripture. The spirit was sent to work with scripture. We need the work of the spirit to transform us. We need the word of God to inform us. And we need to spend time in the presence of God to be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. I want to challenge us with this as a congregation. If we've not called on Jesus, why not? What about what we see here? And if we are children of Christ, are we allowing the Spirit to come and to fill us? We're in a season of uncertainty right now. More questions than we could possibly know how to answer. But the promise of the Spirit, He will guide us in all truth. Are we taking time to surrender and ask?
Interestingly, going back to last week's sermon, the disciples didn't know how to replace Judas. They cast lots. They never do that again. Because now with the indwelling spirit, he will guide us. He will show us what we need for life. Are we waiting on the spirit of God to guide us in all truth? Peter says in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, as many as our God will call. And with many strong words, he urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. And so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to their number. Have we surrendered to the work of the Spirit? Are we inviting him in daily? Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you that you did not see fit to leave us alone, but that as your children, you now come and you now fill us, you now empower us, you now instruct our hearts. My prayer for all of us, Holy Spirit, that you continue your work in our soul each day. Lord, for those who have not called on you, would you haunt them with the fact that what we've talked about this morning does not apply because you do not live in them? Would you bring conviction of their sin that you make so clear we can't solve our own sins? Sin demands death, and, and there's just nothing we can do about it, but that you died for our sins that there's forgiveness only in you. And that as we are forgiven, you come and you fill us. For those of us who have received your forgiveness, for those of you who are your children, would you continue to empower us for daily living? Would you come and guide us with the questions of life that we have? Would you give us answers? As we study scripture, would you open our hearts and our minds to know? Would you grow the fruit of your spirit, the love and the joy and the peace, all those things that you promised, would we see that grow? And holy God, would you continue to lead and guide us as your church family? Would you continue your molding and working in our souls? And would you be glorified in and through us, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray a blessing on you folks this week. Thank you for worshiping with us. And I challenge you this week, invite the Spirit of God to continue to work in your soul. And be open to what he has for you as he guides you into all truth and he makes you like Jesus. God bless you. Joy be.